0: Thank you so much for tuning in. You are listening to Seasoned Crime and I am your host, Jasmine Nicole. I come on here to highlight stories about minorities. It's giving true crime with extra seasoning added on. There are a lot of other podcasts that showcase the majority and absolutely nothing against any of them. I myself enjoy them as well. Love them. I can give you a list of them if you'd like. But I want to recognize the ones that get left out of there. True crime happens everywhere to everybody. All races, religions, cultures, sexual orientations, genders, all of that. So why does everybody else not get the same recognition in the true crime world? This is where this podcast comes in. I highlight like the stories that either haven't been told, or they're just not being told as loud as they should be. I like to say that this show has no boundaries. When this recording comes out, we would have just passed the Super Bowl in Valentine's Day. Uh, I can care less about which team wins the Super Bowl. I'm from the Dallas area, so if I were to claim a team, I'm always going to pick the Dallas Cowboys, and anything other than them is just for entertainment purposes for me. The halftime show, though, I hope it gives everything it's supposed to give. I haven't been this excited to watch halftime since Queen Bee herself graced us with her presence. That plus Valentine's Day. For everyone who has a valentine, I hope you feel extra special and extra loved. And for those that don't, it's cool. Just know that you're loved, too. And remember, it doesn't have to be a day to show love to somebody else. If nobody showed you love, show some love to your damn self. Send yourself some flowers or go buy your favorite chocolates or whatever it is that makes you feel good. Self-love is just as important, if not more important, than the love of others. So now that we got a little small talk out the way, let's go ahead and get into today's story. Sometimes I go and I look for specific stories based on, you know, categories or something that interests me or something that popped out. And this time I didn't have that. I, when I was thinking of what story to do, I couldn't think of any particular topic for myself. And so this was just a matter of me, um, going through Murderpedia, Wikipedia, um, different, you know, crime websites and pages to kind of see if anything stood out. And there was a story that I found that seemed extremely interesting. And as usual, once I started digging in, I just knew that this was the one I had to tell. Today, I am going to tell you about a former wrestler turned serial killer. So we're going to go ahead and jump into the story of Juana Barraza. Juana was born December 27th, 1957, in Hidalgo, a rural area north of Mexico City. Her father, Trinidad Barraza, was a police officer and her mother, Hasta Semperio, was an alcoholic sex worker. I'm not sure if this was a relationship of opportunity or how these two ended up together exactly, but I mean talk about complete opposites. The relationship between them didn't last much long after Juana came into the picture, though. When Juana was only three months old, her mother just up and left her father. Her mom, Wasta, left in order to be with another man by the name of Refugio Samparrio. And at the time of this, he was married as well. So they both left their spouses and ended up together. I'm not sure how long he was in Juana's life, but he did become a father figure to her. And I say that because I'm not sure if him and Wasta were split up before what I'm about to tell you next or if he was still in the picture, but either way, it's disturbing. When Juana was 12 years old, her alcoholic mother traded her for three cans of beer to a man named Jose Lugo. She allowed Jose to sexually assault her daughter. She even got pregnant by him once, when she was 13, and again when she was 16. But both pregnancies ended in miscarriages. Call it what you want, but in some weird way, the stars aligned each time on that one. Juana remained in Hidalgo, dealing with everything that came with it for her, up until her mother passed away of cirrhosis, which is a liver disease that was likely brought on by her excessive drinking. After that, Juana dipped out and moved to Mexico City. Juana ended up having four children that she was the sole provider for. Sadly, her oldest son, who was 24 at the time, was killed from injuries that he sustained, in a gang-related shooting. To take care of everyone, she did multiple jobs to make ends meet. For a period of time, she worked as a maid cleaning homes. She worked as a nurse. She even worked as a popcorn vendor. But the job that stood out the most was when she got a chance to live out her dreams. And sometime between the 80s and the 90s, Juana began wrestling. She did Luce Libra type wrestling, and she went by the name La Dama de Silencio, which translates in English to The Lady of Silence. Luce Libra is a form of freestyle wrestling. You've probably seen this before. It's extremely popular in Mexico, and the wrestlers normally wear colorful masks, and it includes a lot of high-flying maneuvers. Wrestling was something that Juana really enjoyed, but it was in a way like a side hustle for her. She would get paid by the match and it wasn't really consistent enough to on its own financially support her and her family. In 1995, this was around the time when her fourth child was born that she was broke and she needed some money and she needed it quick. So she started stealing. It started off as stealing from stores, things like clothing and food, but I mean, you know what happens when you're doing something, you really ain't got no business doing, there's that thrill and excitement, and especially if you don't get caught, you just keep going. And that's exactly what Wanda did. She didn't just leave it there, things escalated, and she went from stealing from, you know, stores to now burglarizing homes. This continued for Juana and in 1996 her friend Araceli Tapia Martinez decided that they could accomplish a lot more if they worked together on this. So Juana and Araceli they came up with a plan to target elderly, the ones who lived alone because they could be easy to steal from. Their plan was to dress up in all white and pretend to be nurses. She would Always be out with a stethoscope and a fake ID card ready to help keep up with the facade. This is how they would gain their access into the homes, and once they got into the home, they would rob them. She would come to find that working with a partner in this was her downfall. Araceli had a boyfriend named Moses Flores Dominguez, and Moses was a dirty cop. He knew what Juana and Araceli were doing, so I mean, if it's one thing a dirty cop's going to do, they're going to be dirty. And dirty he was. I mean, he just couldn't help himself. Him and his girl Araceli, they came up with a backdoor plan to extort Juana. After Juana burglarized a home, Moses stopped her and then threatened to arrest her. She had no idea that he was Araceli's man. Moses said he would let her off only if she gave him 12,000 pesos, which in U.S. dollars that translates to about $580. Of course, Juana complied because, I mean, she didn't want to get arrested. In 2000, Juana retired from wrestling altogether. She was making about 300 to 500 pesos, which is about 15 to 25 U.S. dollars a fight, so This was the cash flow that was now drying up for her. And once again, she was back to being broke. So she started back doing what she knew worked. And that was robbing. But this time, it was more than that. She upgraded to killing these people as well. Her first known victim was November 25th, 2002. On this day, she conned her way into the home of Maria Deleuze Gonzalez Anaya. I'm not sure if killing was part of the plan when she went into this, but once she got into Maria's home, she said that Maria said some comments that Juana took as derogatory. The comments made Juana so upset that she strangled Maria with her bare hands, killing her. After this, she went on a three-month killing hiatus, but even though she wasn't killing, the cops were looking. Remember, she had been robbing and burglarizing seniors prior to murdering, so the crimes against elderly were already on their radar. In December, they put out two posters of sketches from eyewitnesses asking for the public's help in finding a person of interest that they were looking for. One of the two sketches was of a more masculine figure and the other was a more feminine look based on the details that they had gotten. It wasn't until a year after the sketches initially went out that they finally told the public that there was a serial killer out. During the year's time in between, Juana had managed to kill seven more people between the ages of 76 and 84. During the year's time, Juana managed to kill seven more women between the ages of 76 and 84. Even though awareness was heightened during the year of 2004, Juana didn't slow down. She killed 14 women aged between 70 and 92. She would kill them with items that she got inside their own home, such as like scarves and pantyhose. In 2005, she continued killing, but by the mid-year, she had gotten a partner. Juana began dating a taxi driver by the name of Jose Francisco Torres Herrera, and once he found out what Juana was doing, he didn't run away like you would think. Instead, he joined in, becoming her accomplice. After the two teamed up, the crimes became more violent and more frequent. Also... This could be because of Jose's work schedule, but the time that the crimes were committed changed from daytime to nighttime. Things were about to start closing in. Unknown to Juana, when she killed 82 year old Carmen Camilla Gonzalez Miguel on September 28, she killed the wrong old lady. Carmen was an upper class woman and she was also the mother of a very prominent Mexican criminologist named Luis Rafael Moreno-Gonzalez. After this, police launched a special operation into the crimes. The English translation of this task force was called Operation Parks and Gardens. They increased police presence in the area of the murders, Pamphlets and flyers were passed out to the elderly, letting them know to be aware of strangers. Some new sketches were released, and they also started using some women as bait, trying to lure in the killer. They had no idea of the identity of the killer, but they did have a profile. The chief prosecutor in Mexico City, Bernardo Batiz, said that the killer had, quote, a brilliant mind being clever and quite careful. It was also assumed that the killer was male. They knew that the killer would gain the trust of the victims in order to get inside the home prior to killing them, but they weren't fully positive about exactly how, but they did assume that the killer was posing as some sort of government official offering victims the chance to sign up for some sort of welfare program. They profiled that the person that was behind the killings was also a complete and total psychopath and had zero remorse behind what they were doing, and that the reason that they were going after older women was because of some mommy issues. And the killer believed that they were benefiting by killing these women. Juana burglarized and killed a lady about two weeks after killing Carmen, but then after that, the murder stopped. I'm not sure if Juana was noticing the increased police presence or if there was something else that was going on during this time. But during this, police thought that maybe, I mean, since the killings had stopped, the killer was possibly dead, had committed suicide. They did have DNA evidence that had been left at some of the scenes. So in January of 2006, about two months from the last killing, they actually started fingerprinting bodies that were in the morgue to see if any of the dead bodies matched the DNA that was collected, but they got nothing. Juana just couldn't resist herself, though, and on January 25th, 2006, she was back at it, and she burglarized the home of 84-year-old Ana Maria de los Reyes Alfaro, strangling her with a stethoscope and killing her. This time, things ended a bit differently, though. I don't believe that Juana was aware that there was someone else in the home, but Ana Maria had a tenant. And that tenant called the cops saying that the person who looked like the sketch that they had seen all over TV had just killed the landlord and he gave a description of her to the police. The police immediately came to the location and Juana was apprehended. When they brought Juana in, they asked her questions about everything, but They weren't really getting anything from her. It was then that they found that Juana was completely illiterate. So much so that following along with the full conversation and so forth and reading and writing, it was a struggle and they knew that they weren't going to get anything from her that would hold up in court. So they went another route. They ended up getting a search warrant and they went directly to Juana's home. At Juana's home, they found a full-on trophy room. The room was full of newspaper clippings of the crimes and items that were taken from victims that she was keeping as trophies. They even found altars to Jesus Mavorde and Santa Morate. Jesus Mavorde is known as the Generous Bandit. Believers pray to this Robin Hood-like figure for things such as good luck and health. Santa Marte is believed to be the goddess of death. They also realized that Juana had been at the police station just one week prior to her arrest. She even did a TV interview there about her wrestling career, and there was no suspicion of her at all. Police were shocked that this former wrestler had been the one terrorizing the town. Juana confessed to only three murders, but her fingerprints linked her to 10. It is said that in total, she killed between 42 and 48 elderly women. The police department was heavily criticized for its handling and even finding Juana. A lot of the eyewitnesses described a masculine-looking person who wore women's clothing. They just didn't believe that there was any way that the person committing these murders was a woman. So instead, police started targeting trans prostitutes. At one point, they even did a sweep, arresting 49 trans people. They brought in as many as they could find. And they had them all fingerprinted. All 49 were released once it was confirmed that none of their prints matched the ones that had been obtained at the crime scenes. Juana's case went to trial in spring of 2008. At this point, she was only admitting to one murder, but the prosecution was now able to link her to 40 of them. Even though Juana didn't admit to 39 out of the 40, she did say that her motive for the one she did do came from the lingering resentment that she had towards her mother and how she was treated by her growing up. She was quoted as saying, I hated the ladies because my mom treated me badly. She used to hit me. She cursed me and she gave me away to a grown man. March 31st, 2008, Juana was found guilty on 16 charges of murder and aggravated burglary, including 11 separate counts of murder. The murders that she did end up being charged with were the ones that were able to be proved through fingerprint evidence. She was sentenced to 759 years. In Mexico, sentences are normally served concurrently, but under Mexican law, The maximum sentence is 60 years. Juana is set for parole in 2058, where she will be the age of 100 years old. There have been multiple TV shows based on Juana's crime in Mexico and in the United States as well. There's a Criminal Minds episode that's said to be influenced by her, as well as a Deadly Woman episode on the ID channel. And that's it. There you have it. The story of the wrestler-turned-serial-killer, Juana Braza. I mean, this is a story that you only see in the movies, but this was happening in real life in Mexico. Killing anyone is bad, but the elderly? I, don't, I, I can't even imagine, because when I see someone, especially, you know, ages 70s, 80s, 90s, I always associate that with being someone's grandparent. So, like, how you could then go into someone's grandmother's house, take their pantyhose, and murder them by strangling them around their neck. I I can't even put my hands on how that would even, how. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to like and rate us on your listening platforms. And make sure, if you are on Apple Podcasts, that you leave a comment. Remember to check out the show in the Instagram at Crime. and if you need to get in touch with me, you can hit me up on the DMs there, or you can also send me an email to seasonedcrime at gmail.com. I hope you all have a great week, and once again, happy Black History Month, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seasoned Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.